Welcome to She Been Ready, the podcast. She Been Ready is a conversation, a declaration, and a clarification that Black women have always led. On this podcast, I, Dr. Wendy Williams, educator, psychologist, leader, and auntie, will be joined by Black women who lead and those who have been led well by them. So, you don't have to get ready when you stay ready, and you can trust in the leadership of a Black woman because she's been ready. Hey, hey, hey there, folks. It's me, Dr. Wendy Williams, and welcome back to She Been Ready, the podcast. I am so grateful to uh, be here with you all yet again and to introduce you to a very, very special voice, um, special in so many ways. Malisha Taylor Browning, or Mally, as folks call her, is the founding director and artist at Muse Salon. She is a vocal artist, a TEDx speaker, strategist, and the creator of The Elevate Framework, which are eight guiding principles for BIPOC leaders and organizations. This framework has emerged from her lived experience as a trained opera singer, a black woman, a mother, professor, arts administrator, and consultant working across arts disciplines and multiple sectors for the past 25 years. You wouldn't know it to see her. Uh, She doesn't look like she's (laughs) even a year over 25 in many ways. But I digress. Malisha is a proud urban bush woman, SLI alum from 2019, and has published articles with Arts for a Change in America and HowlRound. As a transdisciplinary artist and scholar whose writings encompass liberatory praxis, Mally thinks holistically about designing ecosystems for BIPOC leaders, teams, and cultural institutions to thrive. She has been a professor and a guest and or guest lecturer at Harvard University, Spelman College, Scripps College of the Claremont Colleges in Southern California, California State University, San Marcos, and Clark Atlanta University, and is currently writing an autoethnography entitled Transcending Performance, Exploring Black Liberatory Praxis in the Vocal Arts. You are going to just love this conversation. Um, it is so characteristic of my engagements with Malisha to go deep and still stay centered in the human, but also feel something celestial as well. Um I think once you hear her speak and get inside of the conversation she and I have, you'll begin to understand what I mean by that. All to say, this discussion, this interview uh, was one that was just so very special because you see an artist uh, in the midst of her craft, but also someone who's understood the power of her voice and the power of understanding the spirit as it moves through us to create the artistic expressions that are so vital and important to all of us living a more liberatory life and accessing uh, the freedom that truly is possible. Um, That is our legacy. So with no further ado, I am going to transition us to my conversation with Malisha Molly Taylor Browning, founding director and artist of Muse Salon, and just overall round, all around wonderful human. Enjoy. All right, 
So welcome back, everyone, to She Been Ready, the podcast. Y'all have no idea how thrilled and excited I am to have my dear sister friend, Malisha Taylor. Well, actually, Malisha, what's your last name now? Taylor Browning. Taylor Browning. Uh, yes. So there have been some developments in her life. Uh, yes. She she is a dear. Just we we met in Brooklyn in a beautiful time. And yes, what she's doing in the world now is so magnificent. So I'm just so happy to have you, Malisha, with us today. Thank you for having me. Good to see you again. Always. You too. You too. Yes. So I'm just going to start us off as we typically do, which is to ask you, um, how did you know that you've been ready? Ready to lead. This podcast is She'd Been Ready, looking at women, Black women in particularly, in our liberatory leadership praxis. And I want to know, and and that is, I, I find that Black women lead with liberation at heart all the time. So for, for me, these conversations are around learning how you do that from your seat and from your, your positionality in the world. What was the work you were doing or engaging in that made you realize that you needed to be at the helm or that you had a leadership role to play? And how old were you? And I ask this question because sometimes we're older, sometimes we're really, really young. And, you know, as Black women, we could be told that perhaps we should or shouldn't be leading. But you either lead it or you're not, and, and it doesn't really matter. So the stage of your career or of your life, that can be really helpful for people to hear about. But how did you know that you've been ready? Yes. Um, <laughs> wow. While you were asking that question, I went through uh, some significant phases. First of all, my mother said when I came out of the womb, mm. I was singing. No. She said I was singing early. She said, I sang immediately when I was born. Um, and I sang all the time. And she, she said, I scared her because I sounded like a grown person as a baby singing. Do you have any recordings of that? I don't think so. That's no. miraculous. Yeah. She just was like, my child was born knowing she had a voice and knowing she was singing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. she also said I was born with this kind of spiritual seer as like part of my character. I just could see that I was supposed to be here and mm -hmm. I could see what I was supposed to be about. Um, and so I feel like knowing that and that my mother told me that, mm -hmm. that makes me feel like any time I show up mm -hmm. in any space, mm -hmm. um, I am intentional. I'm supposed to be there mm -hmm. and I am leading when I show up as my full self. When I bring my full self to a space, mm -hmm. I am leading. Um, so that also along with, I was thinking about Muse Salon. Mm -hmm. Muse Salon, I thought of when we were friends back in Brooklyn. I remember Muse Salon was like, oh, getting together, gathering Brooklyn. We were doing that. We were gathering in homes. Mm -hmm. And now that feels like some kind of uh, special event <laughs> to well, go to someone's house and eat. Is. Right. After pandemic. It really became a thing. It's like a special event that you have to curate and, um, you know, make sure there's a calendar link and, <laughs> you know, a form, you know, you can't just call and text, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, Brad Stein and say, come through. Right. Come through or pass through, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
And New Salon was something I could tell needed to keep happening, that it didn't need to be something that was just in Brooklyn or just in that time, but all the time. And how significant gathering is for our development as leaders and people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did not incorporate Muse Salon until I became a mother. And then motherhood taught me mm. I've been ready. Mm. And then the pandemic gave me another knowing mm-hmm. because I made it a 501c3. Mm. So th- those were all my my knowings. Birth, <laughs> the 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 speak, the the pronunciate, the the proclamation that my mother made mm-hmm. that I was born knowing mm. what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and also um, the coming into myself in Brooklyn, I was what I was in my early, late 20s. So I was 28, mm-hmm. 29, not quite 30 yet was when I started to realize I should lead. And then I started to take it serious, but like incorporate and make it an entity. I didn't do that until I was a mother. So I was 32. And then I made it a 501c3 right before 40. So I was about 38, 39. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know why I write interview questions. (laughs) Because what I want to ask you it's sort of like really thinking about what you just said there. Like it, there are these major transformations in life that uh, at birth, your voice, before you have words, you have that voice. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like to your mother, at least it was old. <laughs> right. <laughs> I really wish we like had a monograph so that we could hear that. Um, right. Becoming a mother. Yes. And I, I, you know, we have an episode here on mothering as leadership. Yes. Uh, yes, because it is. I wanted yes. my sister to do it with me, but she is like, you are the only one who wants to put that big old microphone in your face and talk to people. I don't want to do that, but I did get a friend of mine to do it with me. Um, about but what, what, what motherhood teaches us about leadership and what's called of us, I feel like that's yes. a thing. And so I would love if you might speak to that. And then 40 and the 501c3 and taking yourself seriously. Like, I just think yes. that you are in, you're speaking about trajectory in terms of coming into life, but coming into the yes. hood of woman. And I would love if yes. you talk about that and your leadership. Yes. What that inspires <laughs> for you, even that question. Yes. Ooh. Um, so yes, <laughs> I know. I, thought, I was like, I don't even know why we ask questions because we get other questions in the midst of it all. Right. Yes. Um, mom being becoming mother mm-hmm. with the capital M mm. is, <laughs> is I, I have to know myself mm. loud enough to explain it and proclaim it to my children loud not not in a not in my diary anymore not a conversation inside my head mm-hmm. i have to write it speak it dictate it out mm-hmm. now because i have to teach my children how to be mm-hmm. how to be how to become how to show up what they're talented at what they're gifted at how to know what a gift is how to feel yourself 
and show yourself. Mm -hmm. If I can't do it, then I can't teach it. That's how I felt. And Mm -hmm. there's a moment of reckoning where you're like, I can't be crippled because I have to lift three children on my back. I can't be crippled. What do you mean by that? Crippled like I can't be walking fragmented through, through life, not knowing who I am. I need my whole self here. I need my whole self fully. I need all of my members, my physical limbs to be membered. Yes. I need my spine straight because I'm about to put a whole human human on my back and three. Three of them. You have twins. And then do you have, is the third older or younger than the twins? The third's younger. Oh, yoy. So my last baby is now eight. Oh, that's such a beautiful, smart, alecky age. It's so yes, <laughs> I love eight. I love eight. I'm like, stay eight, but I've said stay everything that he's ever been. Because yeah. um, I loved him at three and four. <laughs> you love him forever. Yes. Well, you said motherhood with a capital M is what does that mean to you? It sounds like that's something you've said before in your in your past. Yeah. Um, mother authority. Mm-hmm. It's a. I feel like it's a um, it's a position. Sometimes we feel like um, motherhood happens to us or we don't have agency in motherhood. Sometimes mm-hmm. like sometimes we feel like this happened or I wasn't sure mm-hmm. um, or this is not necessarily what I want. Like we have different vibes about motherhood sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I had to get to a place of anchoring in and saying, I am, I am sure that I'm a mother Mm -hmm. and I'm sure about my role in motherhood. Mm -hmm. I'm sure about my voice as a mother. Um, I am sure that I'm worthy of being a mother. Mm -hmm. Um, that it's not an accident. I'm a mother. No. Um, that this this didn't happen to me. I this is my body. My body is real. My body tells me that I'm I'm having a child, and that is that that is a that's real. That's real. that's not it's not happening at me or to mm-hmm. me. It's kind of like. Um, mm. It's like matriarchy. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's authority to me. It's in a, uh-huh. it's a role. It's a position of authority. Mm-hmm. That's why I see motherhood as leadership. I, my baby mm-hmm. sister is, is, um, is the mother of four girls and I've watched her become a more fuller, um, authority. I love that language. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her motherhood, it's the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen in my mm-hmm. entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched her grow up from baby to mom. Yeah, you're right. It is. There is a decision and it doesn't always come just because the baby came like a lot of times. What I've noticed with my sisters, it came as they were just like, you gonna teach me some stuff. Right. To learn some things. And she had to. Oh, I got to get myself together, you know. Yes. And, I, and it and it and it and it's it's I've never seen a much more powerful expression of her voice in her own voice and in her own way. Um, yes. But certainly it's the most beautiful thing I've ever been able 
I've ever been allowed to bear witness to closely. I think it happens as sisters and siblings for sure. Yes. And so it's lovely to hear you say it in these words that really, really resonate um, the beauty of it truly. Yes. Yes. Mm. You're it's a, yeah. It's a blooming. It's like a coming into full bloom of the flower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that not, I think there are many aspects of the feminine A yes. mother is one. So yes. it doesn't mean that not being a physical, biological mother yes. does not mean you do not mother. Oh. Um, whatever you find to mother is mm-hmm. motherhood and it's an authority. It's, it's only a f- your authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I have no children. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I I love that you're saying that as well, because I think that sometimes when when women talk about mothering, Mm -hmm. uh, the the non mothers, the aunties of the world may feel a certain way, like, well, I get to be a woman. It's like nobody's saying that. Right. Talking about this over here. Stay focused. Yeah. Right. Right. Stay on what we're talking about. Yes. And this is a unique way of thinking and a perspective on thinking about the flowering of womanhood of matriarchal authority, which yes. is so imbalanced in our society. So I really yes. appreciate you naming that. And we can talk about yes. the birthing of children and motherhood singularity right now and let that right. be focus. And we will have another conversation on this podcast with other types of mothering as leadership. Right. Right. Love. Have to, right. Um, so 25 years, nobody would look at you to think that you've been anywhere for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> but you have had a career in the arts that spans a quarter of a century. Right. I'm not trying to That's age. That's a trip. It's right. a trip. I, when I look up and see those kinds of numbers, I'm like, really, God, what are we doing? Uh, yes. What's your story? Like, how did you come to know yourself as an artist? You yes. yourself, it sounds like, you you know, you know, leadership. I hear it. But when you decided, have you always known that? How did you know? How did you know? It's like I remember being in third grade choir, like the choir that you're forced to be in in elementary school. And all the kids have to line up and sing a song because it's the last day of school program. And I remember pushing my way to the edge of the choir to pull on the teacher like I can really sing, though. Like Ooh, I could like, this is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> really do with this. It's not, it's more, a little bit more than that. Yeah. What's your, what's your teacher and, I, and I always did that in every music program. I was at church. I was like, no, but I can sing. Mm. So, I mean, I was eight. So mm-hmm. I give myself a pass, mm-hmm. but I was like, I can sing. I can sing in harmony. I can sing high. I can sing low. I can do anything you need for this choir. I can do the solo, the backup, the light up. I can get people in line. And it was just my, I could just tell that it was something that drove um, my personality. It made me shine. It made me show up um, and stand out was being an artist. Um, And it was deep inside me. My mom said I was born singing. My mom is also a singer. And my my mom's dad was a singer. Um, so my ma- maternal line is full of singing. Oh, see. see. Yes. Yes. I see. Um, hmm. And so to well, to expand on the arts, mm-hmm. I showed up as an artist, as a singer. I studied at Cal State Fullerton and USC. I studied voice. I knew that voice was the the way that I wanted to go as far as academic study. 
Um, but while I was in music school, I had the opportunity to do an internship because I was starting to think about how to earn money <laughs> like a normal person. If I don't want to be a movie star or a, a singing actress on Broadway, what else is there to do? And I did an internship at the symphony, which I didn't even know had an office. And they said, oh, yeah, you could you can intern at the symphony, work in an administrative office, learn about production, learn about um, concert management, learn about development and fundraising. And so I got into that um, at around my junior year of high school, no, junior year of college. Um, and I started to learn the other side of music making, which is music administration, uh, music business and production. Mm -hmm. And once I learned that there were full administrative offices running all of these stages and all of these performances, um, I started to learn that other side. And I wanted to know it because I didn't feel that just being a singer was enough. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to know the ins and outs of what makes the music business um, and what makes a great production. So I learned how to be a, a techie, how to work backstage, how to be a, a stage manager. I learned how to do um, grants and grant writing. I learned how to mm. be a receptionist. I learned how to be a producer. I did. I, I self-taught. I mm. showed up and self-taught. I listened and I paid attention. I did not get a second degree in arts administration. I did not go get an MBA. I did not go into nonprofit arts administration. I just did the jobs. I did. Mm. Uh, I did all the little entry level jobs. What was happening? Uh, it sounds, you know, was that odd or different compared to what was going on with your classmates in terms like were they like thrust into the right? And so I'm wondering what was happening for for young yes. Alicia uh, in school right. and what made her so entrepreneurial so early? Um, I was thinking about everyone telling me, do you have a plan B? Do you have a plan B? Mm -hmm. Everyone was like, you're cute. You can sing. Do you have a plan B? Because <laughs> not everybody you're cute. <laughs> you're, you're, you're more than cute. You're beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm offended, but I'm also glad that they pushed it. <laughs> right. Right. Because then you entered into this space with a sense of confidence that you could do other things less desperate less willing to sell yourself out, less yes. willing to sell out your voice. Yes. The actual vocal, but also like your voice, what's true for you. Did yes. you feel that as a young person or? Yes. You did. And yes, I felt exactly what you said. I felt like I needed to be fully equipped for all the shenanigans, for right. um, toxic environments and know how to pivot. Yes. To, yes. Know, to know other aspects of the career and not be stuck in one to not be stuck in a silo and say, well, I only know how to sing, so I don't know how to do mics. I only know how to sing, so I don't know how to write contracts. You better know mm -hmm. how to do, you, you know, do you know how to negotiate a contract? What is a contract yeah. supposed to look like? You know, and just not being codependent because um, artists, honestly, in, in, the, in the financial aspect, the artist is kind of the last person to get paid. Right. <laughs> like it's the right. glamorous, that's the glamorous one. You get all but the attention, but you're not. You ain't at the table. Little you, disclosure. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. You're not at the table. Finish your thought. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, you're not at the table. You're not the decision maker. You don't. you're not usually the person in power. And so I started analyzing power and access to power in art. Who has the narrative? Who has the control? Who decides what what artists get to sing? Who decides how they get to look? Okay, let me study that job. Okay, so who does? Who decided the staging? I want to learn that job. Who decided how these contracts are written? I'm learning that. Who does who wrote these grants? Who funded this building where the performance happened? Okay, I want to know about funding. I want to know about philanthropy. Okay, so who decided how money gets dispersed? Okay, so I want to know about business development. I just I just kept trying to follow the needle of power and access to power and who was getting left out in the process. That that became really curious to me, knowing that artists are often at the end of the totem Last. pole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were doing this as a young woman, and I know that smart young women, particularly smart young women of color, irritate people in power. Yes. Smart young women of color with uh, questions and perspectives <laughs> and an opinion and an impression. How did that hand happen? How did you... How did you experience it? How did others experience you? Did it ever interfere with opportunity or experiences? Asking too much, not just being cute and singing, but like having the brain and the business acumen to actually manage many facets. Always. Tell me about your leadership journey. Yes, this is the leadership journey, right? This is that part. Yes. Right. Right. Because that's, (laughs) yes, it's the reveal. It's the grand reveal, right? I, I'm sorry, I couldn't just show up to rehearsal and not think about why the union is not protecting right. all the. <laughs> why are we not unionized in this rehearsal? I'm sorry that I didn't show up. You know, like, yes, I had those questions. And the more I realized and I kept talking to myself like, Malisha, you have to just be still. You can't show up always asking questions, always instigating, always challenging because you'll be marked as uh, you just you're difficult. I would get less work as a result. Um, People would put me on. People would say, "Okay, you're not an artist, you're an activist. And that, you know, okay, so you're so you're an equity person. Okay, Mm -hmm. so you're and they would start creating labels to put me into certain spots. Okay. And so that's what led me to liberation and liberatory praxis, Mm -hmm. because it was about I need to define what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And just because I challenge something does not mean that I'm not still an artist. That's right. Um, Just because I have ideas does not mean that um, I'm supposed to follow and never lead. Um, And leading is not bad. Mm. Leadership, leadership is not negative. Um, having a business and being an artist, being a multi-hyphenated person should not be bad. It's not. Mm. You know, Beyonce popularized it in some ways. Uh, Michael Jackson in some ways, right? Diana Ross Mm. in some ways, Quincy Jones in some ways. So we have these models, but they seem like the few and far between. Obviously, some things have changed in the industry that make it possible for others to do it. So I was going to say a little disclosure. I love that show on HBO Max called Rap Shit because uh-huh. it brings you inside of the music industry. It brings you inside of a lot of things, but inside of the music industry and young women navigating that space. A smart young woman and another young woman who is smart, but isn't smart in the traditional ways in, you know, 
book learned, if you will, and right. how they're navigating that. And that idea of being just the talent or having the business acumen uh, to actually navigate and negotiate from any seat that you're in, even when you're on stage too. Yes. Yes. Mm. And then the academic space was a trip because I went through that yes. for a little bit. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I had all the warnings from every direction uh, from the gate. They were like, oh, black woman academia. You know? <laughs> FYI, (laughs) read this book. (laughs) Are you prepared? (laughs) Are you prepared? Yeah, Yeah. they were like, do you understand? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have questions? Do you want to talk now? I was like, no, I'm just adjunct. (laughs) I'm just adjunct. I am just like, no, save yourself. Yeah, they were like, do you want to leave yet? (laughs) Yeah. So I just kept it very light in academia. I just did Mm -hmm. adjunct. Um, I never made it to part time. Mm-hmm. I just Kept I just it. did adjunct. Yeah. I peep in, I peep out. I don't have to be uh-huh. a part of your internal dynamics and politics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. So you peeped over into this space and I would love to talk with you much more about it. You're mm-hmm. the only person um that uses similar language as I have started to use around talking about leadership um and praxis. And mm-hmm. then you describe it as Black liberatory praxis in vocal arts. Yes. What is that? That, so I started to learn about what autoethnography was mm-hmm. as a research method. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I was dating a scholar at the time who was getting a PhD mm-hmm. writing an autoethnography. Okay. And I, and his dissertation was an autoethnography. Yes. And I was like, oh, That's- so you mean you can... Right. I was like, so I could write about myself and my process as research on a topic. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let me bring all the dynamics and complexities of who I am, all my identities, my intersections, and explore it from a Black liberatory lens because I am Black, but I'm a woman, I'm a mother, I'm an artist who sings in multiple genres. Who transcends genre, who doesn't believe that genre is the definer of who you are as an artist. Mm-hmm. And I started reading um Black Feminist Thought on you do you know the book Feelin'? No. Who is that? There Glad are very you. few books I don't know. I appreciate it. Feelin'. Ac- Feelin' with an apostrophe, no G. Um, this scholar sister is major and her, her mind is slipping me right now. She has an entire chapter on black women's vocal arts expression and its relation to black feminist thought and how basically the sacred work of singing as a black woman is transcendent, is spiritual, it's out of body, um, mm-hmm. it's magic and its potency is um, unmatched to any other phenomenon in the world. Bettina <laughs> Judd? Yes. I'm going to get it. Yes. Yes. Okay. What ha- and she talks about the phenomenon of what happens to us as humans when we witness a Black woman just singing, That's period. Right. Just a Black woman singing. There is this um, post on Instagram. If I find it, I'll send it to you. Mm -hmm. And 
it is basically that it's Whitney Houston, Shaka Khan, Patty. Yes. It's these are you've seen it, haven't you? Uh, These artists singing and witnessing each other like it stops you cold. Yes. Um, Nina's. uh, Did I say Nina's? They're, you know, just right. With ah, Beyonce. When she's actually singing in that with her full range, which is yes. powerful. It is deeply spiritual. It does move you deeply. In a different way a different that way. she she was like, I'm gonna write a whole book called The Feeling. The, the, <laughs> the what feeling is that? that you get. I'm gonna buy this book. I'm gonna buy this book. Okay. I mean, it's it's academic work, it's intellectual. Like we can go intellectual deep on what is that feeling? Yes. Yes. What has come over me when a black woman is singing and when she's singing full throat, body, soul, yeah. and there's no genre, there's no, this is opera. This is this mm-hmm. It's not, there's nothing. It's just her being free and her whole heart open. Mm-hmm. Why is, oh, you excited. <laughs> What is it about a black woman who actually allows her whole heart to be open in front of us that is shocking? And why is that so beautiful? I know why I'm asking you though, stop shaking your head. What do you think it is about it? Cause you live in this space. You see it all the time. You see it. I see it when I saw you. Remember you used to do, you had that one installation. I think you were singing in subway stations. Uh-huh. Remember that? And yeah. What do you think it is about? Tell me. <laughs> what do you think? It just reminds me of Ashe. Mm-hmm. Ashe, life force energy in the raw organic form from the first woman. And it's that's what it is. It's all of us remembering and saying, mm-hmm. it's Our- saying, that's the womb. That's the womb. You see this next, this connection to your leadership story? Yes. That's beautiful, Malisha. I'm getting a little emotional, but that's really beautiful. It's the reminder of I know where I came from. And then when I sing it wholeheartedly, my heart fully out and no unobscured by anything, shame, whatever, I'm calling back our first mother, our mother, yes, our collective mother with a capital M. And everyone, no matter any hue or where they're from, they can't deny that deep, that deep wail in the soul that says, yes, I hear it. You can't deny it. It's undenied. And we have that. We have. We have that. We have that gold magic. We have the gold magic of that. (laughs) And the voice. So my husband tripped me out because at 1 a.m. he said Mm. the human voice is the closest access to the soul. The human. I know. I was like, (laughs) actually, you know, wait, listen, do you know that he said it's so dope? I said, I'm emailing that to myself (laughs) and I'm quoting you because I, I won't remember it unless I email it. So let me find it because oh I said gosh. he that worded so it. That is okay. so cool. He said, I don't think there is anything that connects our bodies more to the soul than the voice. Because we walk often dismembered. Yes. 
or not knowing we have the soul. Mm. And the voice reminds us, this is my soul. My soul to keep. Here it is. Here it is. Mm. The voice says, here is the soul, the human voice. And so that's in my autoethnography. It talks about the power of black women free and the power of the human voice all combined Mm -hmm. to be this transcendent experience. Mm. You're writing that now. I'm writing that now. Mm. It's like a a day. It's a work in progress because it kind of can't end unless I'm gone. And then it kind of never ends. Right. Just, do part one so I can read. Yeah. It. <laughs> volume one. Do volume one. And then someone will add to volume two, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so Black liberatory praxis in the vocal arts is accessing what? How does an artist know that they've accessed that level of praxis? Um, it's kind of like when we talk about the zone, mm-hmm. the, when you have lost track of time and space, mm-hmm. you have, you have stepped out of the body and you've stepped into a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Bettina talks about what is mm-hmm. ecstasy, the ecstatic. Mm-hmm. It's the ecstatic. It's mm-hmm. the shout. Mm-hmm. It's the, oof, mm-hmm. it's that stuff. It's the chills stuff. Mm-hmm. The things that are phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. The phenomenons. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the title is Transcending Performance. So it's about coming out of I am a performer and I am a conduit. Mm, letting it come through you letting it come through you. Um, I'm sure that other people will ask you this. I want to ask you it too. This is a podcast on Black women's leadership. Um, And I know that there is someone who is not Black who is going to ask you, can they access that? Right. Now, response to that. Yes. Because (laughs) the soul, the soul is in every human. If we believe in the soul. Yes. The soul is in every human. Now, my husband, who is not black, said the second quote in the same hour. He said, if there is any place on this earth that gets the soul connected to the body, it's in Africa. Because mm. that's where they have the connection to dance and voice simultaneously. That's that is what that connection is there. Yeah. It's just you just wake up and you voice body, voice body, mm-hmm. voice mm-hmm. body, doing both simultaneously all day. You're mm-hmm. animating, you're animating the body, the you're animating alive. the voice. The soul is yeah. alive, coming through, coming through all the time. All day. So that's what's the blackness in that for you, it seems. That's sort of. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the black identity. We're not stopping the mm-hmm. flow of energy between the voice and the body. Mm. And the soul, it's like a triangle that's not stop. We're not stopping the current. And that's the con that's those need to be in alignment for Mm -hmm. to be a conduit. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's like sacred geometry. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Mm. it's it's tapping into that channel. 
Now, I'll tell you another way I came to this was I was analyzing when, you know, after the the uprising, we went into decolonizing practices. I mean, uprising. Well, many of us, I know the 2020 uprising because there and decolonization is not new. No, but but the terminology in the arts sector. Uh huh started being utilized because we started doing what we we started decentralizing whiteness Mm -hmm. as the standard and Mm -hmm. Eurocentric fine arts Mm -hmm. as the standard in music Mm -hmm. as the standard for what excellent art was after the uprising in 2020. Like that's when we started putting the language out into the practice and into the profession, even though we know this everywhere else, we, we started using it more. And I said, mm. you know, I want to get to a place where I'm not just decolonizing things. Mm. What if I just what if I just show up liberated? What if I just I am right? Because the decolon this is, you know, I, I have those reactions to things that, you know, uh, one of my first real pieces of independent scholarship uh, uh, was auto ethnographic mm-hmm. um, and. And it, and in it, I was grappling with the notion of what is it that is me that is in reaction to yes. others or systems versus what is it that is me that is me? Yes. That is my articulation of my expression of what it is that we're doing. If I'm constantly in reaction and in response to yes. colonization, then I'm still colonized because that is what has my attention. But what does it look like to be unbothered and focused in the direction of where my life force is thrusting me toward? I love that so much, and particularly because of the ways that the arts can be so liberatory for all of us, where we find respite, where we find a shift in energy. Uh you know, it really matters that we uncouple ourselves from always being in juxtaposition with that oppressor, that domination. Like I have to name and make that a thing every time I show up. Malisha is oh. a decolonized opera singer. I was like, OK, so, OK, first okay. of all, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, she's de- she's decolonizing the practice of opera. She's coming against white supremacy in opera. I'm like, or I show up and I sing and it sounds like mm. opera, jazz, hip hop, all kinds of stuff because I'm black because black yes. women, because that's my organic voice. That is your since the day you were born. Since I was born, a, a voice teacher did not say, and now you will have opera in your voice. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and somebody came to me, they were like, girl, did you know that your auntie used to sing opera in the in the black in a in the gospel choir at church? She used to get up and be like, and I was like, you know what? And I was like, I've never seen that before. And they're like, girl, you haven't been to a black church. So then I go to my old my mom's old Baptist church in L.A. And these all these old ladies stood up and they said, you see how you're shaking your body a little bit, too. They was like, Mm -hmm. and I was like, so why is that? That's singing with vibrato. That's singing with an operatic style. That's a black woman that didn't go to school to study opera. Mm -mm. It's just in her throat. It came right, right out her throat. It's who she is. It just came out her throat. It's in my throat already. It was already in my throat. 
Mm, say it one more time. It was in my throat to sing that way. <laughs> That's right. I That's just right. put it in Italian and French and took a dictation class or whatever. But that didn't mean um, I didn't know how to do that until I saw this teacher. Mm. 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 You know, mm-hmm. so once I realized black women sing all kinds of stuff, Patti LaBelle, Jill Scott, they sang opera. Everybody sings opera. I was like, so then it's not we're not decolonizing nothing. We're just this is my voice. Singing. Yeah, we didn't come in. The colonization is that somebody said that it was theirs when it wasn't there. Yes, that. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So do we constantly acknowledge the thief? Exactly. And we spend too much energy. We spend I am not I am not spending my life force energy and time talking about somebody who did not really steal what was not. It was not theirs. They could never steal. It's like someone right. saying they're going to steal your soul or steal your spirit. Yeah. It's not available to you. Come it was around. not available. Right. right. It, it's already in my throat. It's inside my body. Mm. Okay. But it took, I don't know how old was I when I realized mm. that though. Yes. So, yes. Right. Yes. It's yes. the realization, the aha of like, oh, wait, this is mine. It was never in your trajectory because we talked about these phases of your life and you're coming into your leadership. If you look back, when did you say that was already in my throat and know it like 10 toes down? You didn't give me anything. We're not decolonizing anything. That was oof. That was during that was in the that was deep in COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. When we were all doing the dark night of the soul um, life searching with it. What is it? Search, turn within and read, reread that quote one more time and try to figure out why are we here? And that's when you're like, who am I? Why am I here? What is already here? What are my assets? What do I already have? And you like do that asset, that asset mapping of like, I'm not losing. I have something. There's something in me that's Mm. already here. What is it? Mm. And I started to realize the fullness of my voice Mm. and all its tones and heights and lows was just me. That was Mm. just, it was just me. And I just need to show up as myself. Okay. So I'm feeling like I need to, I could talk to you. I think we've had these experiences before. Um, I'm remembering that time you came to visit New York and I was like, yeah, let's go to life. Just keep chat, chat, chatting, but um, or no dinner. But any case, um, yes. I need to stay focused so that we actually end in a reasonable <laughs> time. Uh, you describe yourself on your website as a trained opera singer, black woman, mother, capital M. Now I get yes. it, professor, <laughs> arts administrator, and consultant working across arts disciplines. Yes. How does who you are inform your leadership praxis? What is your leadership praxis? Um, yes. Wow, that's deep. Okay. So um, my leadership praxis is bring your whole self to the space. So mm-hmm. when I name all of those selves and identities, mm-hmm. it's because I want everyone to see I'm showing up as all of these things when I show up. Sometimes people show up, like when I gave this talk at this conference in Chicago, I could have just said, I'm the founder of Muse Salon. Yes. 
and they would just say she's a founder. She's an executive leader. Mm-hmm. She's a consultant. But unless I show up and say, I have four kids, I have this husband, I live over here, I do these things, I've done all these things. These are all the things that inform my voice right now. It's almost like calling mm-hmm. in. Yes. It's like the call in. It's kind of like you show up with your ancestors and not just you. Mm-hmm. You show up with oh your whole. Goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they're just like, I'm coming all you know, armed. I have Mm -hmm. a cloak around me and all of these Mm -hmm. things. I do not shame. There's also a thing about shame for me. Um, There were a lot of times when I went to job interviews and intentionally Mm -hmm. left out those parts of my identity in the interview. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to know I'm a mother. I'll tell you when I'm past probation. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling you I'm an artist. You'll think I'm less serious. Mm. Mm. I will tell you I'm just a consultant because then you think I'm not creative. Right. And so you feel like all your identities box you and don't free you mm-hmm. um, or are not interesting or are in it or they're going to inhibit you from opportunity. Mm. And so when you start to say I'm not ashamed of every part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these identifiers that sometimes mm-hmm. we hide, especially mm-hmm. as women, mm-hmm. um, then we show up with more power to say, mm-hmm. you can't take it away and you can't shame me. I'm not ashamed. I'm making a connection between what you said, what your husband and you had talked about, uh, about the soul. In Africa. Mm-hmm. body and voice at the same time mm-hmm. and yeah um, you see where i'm going there's this way in which your leadership practices and i would like for us to just kind of unpack it a little bit more and really get yes. inside of it your leadership practices uh your the ideas or the works that you're talking about relative to black liberatory practices and the vocal arts are kind of showing up side by side right here um, yes in that even what you're saying in terms of showing up for a job so I'm going to try to loop in something else here, which is how the black woman and the black body and black labor is. Yes. Is, um, oh, I know. Let's just breathe it in for a second. Right. Yes. But how it's positioned, how people put things onto it. Yes. And what liberation looks like in that space and the ways in which you're living and working and leading um, are defiant. Yes, of that type. Yes, it, of that type of um, externality, sort of pressing in and upon and oppressing. How do those words that I just, you know, word saladed onto you right now? How do you hear them? What do you think about that? These two, these ideas, sort of in your space, because it's your labor, it's your art, it's your leadership, and it's all of who you are coming out through that voice in your throat. Right. Um, yes. And so the question is. <laughs> what, what is the question? The question is, yes, mm-hmm. when I just with that image you gave me about woman's labor, the thing that always eats me as a mother is okay. the feeling um, 
than the history of black women as mothers who mothered other children who while leaving their children mm-hmm. to be unmothered. Mm-hmm. Like I had to leave my babies with a childcare worker or in a, at home with the door locked to then go mother someone else's kids all day. And the person who's hiring me knows this. Mm. You know that I have milk in my body for another baby at home and I'm going to feed your baby. Stop. You know it. And you know what? Let me show up and tell you while you're talking to me, I am a mother. Mm. And I and while you hire me and tell me to take care of your kids, I want it real loud in your face that, you know, I have five kids at home. You know, I have five kids at home and you're going to think about it. And I want you, mm-hmm. I'm not showing up to say I don't have children and I'm not showing up to say I'm not an artist and I'm not a creative and I'm not all mm-hmm. these things that I'm not, that I don't have a soul. I'm not showing mm-hmm. up to be a small robot for you. I'm showing mm-hmm. up as a full tree with roots and mm-hmm. flowers and blooms and seeds falling mm-hmm. off of me. And this Mm. is who I am when you hire me. Mm. This is how how magnificent I am when you hire me. Mm -hmm. These things make me magnificent. One of the things that I think about in my work uh, is how the abuses within the context of labor, extractive labor and labor dynamics contemporarily always sort of come back to, you know, the enslavement of Black people and Black women's particular experience of enslavement in terms of the labor of labor and the labor of babies that are taken and made into capital for the system. And the shame that people feel around showing up as mother to work, not wanting to see what they're drawing you from. And what happens for people when they feel shame and don't name that they're a mother in the workplace or when they don't want to show that they're pregnant because people are saying, I don't want to hire you because you're going to have to go take care of somebody else. And I'm told that I have to respect that now because of maternity and paternity and family leave. These things are so integrally connected. And for me, they always start to lay back on the the, the labor of the Black body, particularly in this context. You know, um, but I would say that there is a global, obvious, a global impact of devaluing bodies and seeing particular bodies as labor uh, to be extracted from lands, from peoples, from communities, from children, from children. And so it's the mm. the resistance, the rest resistance movement is showing up mm-hmm. to say, mm. I have babies. I'm not ashamed I have babies. I take care of my babies and I might have an hour left at the end of the day for you. And that'll be $1,000. I'm censoring myself first. My care, my body, my real labor is real. I have real humans I take care of. And for $1,000 for my one hour available, that's what you get. That's what you can. That's how much I cost. That's how much I cost. That's how much it costs. That's how much I'm worth. Call it when you name it that way. Because you, it's like you show up first with all your stuff, and then say, "I Mm -hmm. cost this now." Instead of the other way around, like I don't want to self diminish. Mm -hmm. 
when I show up at the door. I don't want to be the author of my own diminishment. Right. I understand that. I do. I do. I was thinking of, I don't like a cost being associated with you or any of us humanly. So that was my like, uh, no, no, no. But you know what I mean? I know I I do. I know. But that's what I was like. I made up a number. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. But also that's. That's how much what I have to share with you cost. Yes. Like you can't have me because, yes. you know, like you, yes, you know, this, this, you can't have, I'm not, and I'm accounted for, I mean, I'm accounted for, and it's ancestral for me of like resisting that. So I understand where yes. that's coming from, but I get it. You know, it's interesting. We've been talking about this interrelation and I wonder, you know, for this audience, it could be interesting to engage a little bit of cognitive play around what would or does or could your leadership look like, your leadership praxis look like without that Black liberatory thrust? Can I you know. even imagine it? <laughs> no, not after. Once it's been written and known, it's like once you know yourself, you you show up. You just, I, I know who I am now, so I can't not know. Um, and that's kind of what 40 does. 40 is the like, I now know. So <laughs> I, I can't so much. 40 has Andre 3000 out here with this flute. And I love every bit of it. I love yeah. every bit of it because it's, <laughs> it's what I got. It's what's coming out right now. This you know, is it. So you like it. I love it. You don't like it. I don't care. This yeah. is what it is. Right. Yes. I love it. So it's radical. It's, it's showing it's full. And so the curriculum. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this curriculum called Elevate. That, um, okay. I, that I'm doing now. So speaking to what I'm doing now, um, I wrote this framework called um, the eight guiding principles to BIPOC leadership. Um, yes. And and it's evolving because it's either BIPOC leaders in the arts, BIPOC mm-hmm. leaders in nonprofit. But I'm like, it might even be all people because almost mm-hmm. everything on here is just deeply rooted in soul, body, mm-hmm. And and showing up in your full self of who you are mm-hmm. in space as a professional. And I, if I were not black and mm-hmm. talking about liberatory praxis, I don't know that I could write that curriculum. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. Just that just being on the intersection of woman and black and mother and artist mm. is like I, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the intersection. And there were so many, so many years when I was not. Mm-hmm. So many years when I was ashamed to have mm-hmm. any of those intersections. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I want to talk more about Elevate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because that's what happens. You talked about threshold of 40, which it's like the funnest time yes. I've ever had, not giving a you know what. It's yes. glorious. <laughs> yes. And, you know, you hone your skills, you know, you're, you got your talent. You, and then you, it's time to show people how to do this thing because they're just like, what, how does she do it? Tell me a little bit about, like, how you came to realize that it was time to not only be in the practice of doing it in your work, but actually sharing it with others so that they might also create these spaces that are elevated, that are liberatory in mm-hmm. their own particular context. You've named a few of them, but we're also appreciating that it doesn't even have to be any of these particular industries, that it is a necessity for all of us who are trying to access the liberation by living truly in our, our own soul space. Yes. How did I come to elevate? 
Um, so I'm on an amazing contract right now. I'm doing a three year. I'm a part of a three year initiative that um, is led by Ford Foundation. Um, Ford Foundation did a, a, a major mm-hmm. fund to BIPOC led and serving arts organizations in 2020. Okay. And they led it with a bunch of other funders, Mellon Foundation, uh, MacArthur. Mm-hmm. All, they all pooled a bunch of money together and said, we're going to pour into BIPOC leaders mm-hmm. in the arts mm-hmm. uh, all over the U.S. And I am in the Southern region with the Southern Cultural Treasures. And there's 17 mm-hmm. organizations, legacy organizations there. B.B. Um, King Museum, Otis Redding it's, uh, Foundation, um, True Colors Theater, Black Theaters, Black Dance Companies, um, Latino, uh, Latinx um, Theater in Miami, um, Native American groups, all kinds of all beautiful. And in that mm-hmm. cohort, um, I'm leading professional development and capacity building. And we started mm-hmm. to question what does it mean to have capacity or no capacity? Because mm-hmm. how did the how did philanthropy decide that BIPOC leaders need training? Um, how did they decide that, you know, we'll give you this money, but you've got to really get your skills together. And we're not, you know, the reason you've never been funded in the past may be because of your lack of education, maybe because of your lack of skills. Maybe you need to have someone work with you on some basic skills. And I said, you know what? Yeah, we're going to work on basic skills, but we're going to ground them in E, energy, and not just about money, but the principle Mm -hmm. of energy. L, which stands for legacy, which is knowing our value, knowing our origin stories and who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, The other E is ecosystem. That means tending a garden and being master gardeners of our organizations and of who we are, knowing about Mm -hmm. food and, and seed systems, seasons, time, wind, air, The four elements is another one of the guiding principles. So what is fire, air, um, earth and water? And are those elements Mm -hmm. in a part of your leadership? Um, We look Mm -hmm. at V, which is village. Are you village building? Do you see your work as a village? What does it mean to have family? How do you see your board Mm -hmm. as a village, your stakeholders as a village, your artist community Mm -hmm. as a village, the people in your life? Do you see family? Do you see yourself in connection and community? Um, Mm -hmm. And then T, which is about thinking globally and not just thinking locally. How do you see Mm -hmm. yourself international? How do you see Mm -hmm. our diaspora across the globe and not just in Southside Chicago, not just in Atlanta, but in Tanzania and Jamaica Mm -hmm. and all Mm -hmm. parts of, of what is the diaspora? How are we all responding to being colonized? How is the whole planet responding to colonization? right now. Um, And so that's the wheel. So those are the eight principles um, Mm -hmm. and they spell out the word elevate and it just came Mm -hmm. to me in a vision and I wrote it and Mm -hmm. I wrote it down. Mm -hmm. It came to you in a vision. It came to me in a vision. You are so deeply spiritual. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, you are. You know, it's a trip. I saw a branding coach and he took me through three days of exercises to say, you are you're a spiritual person. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, well, I knew that when we got 
started. Um, he's like, you know, you need to do spiritual stuff. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, mm-hmm. you are. You mm-hmm. from your first breath. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, mm-hmm. What's it been like for you to integrate spirit into practice and in, in your work? It's getting better now because we have more language for what spirit is and and mm-hmm. we're not using, you know, it's not always Jesus and God. Um, and it's not always it can be Ashe and it can just be Wusa and it can just be yoga and prana mm-hmm. and it can be breath and it can be wind and air and none of those things diminish another. Mm-hmm. That can use all those words interchangeably and people are like, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Right. When I if I open a, a if I facilitate a talk and I tell everyone to breathe, they know what that means now. It's, it's not like, oh, my God, who is this hippie? You know, <laughs> <laughs> let's settle into the body. Let's do grounding. Mm-hmm. You know, grounding is a thing. I love that stuff. I think people respond more. I like seeing mm-hmm. Like my workshop that I led, people cried. I think it's deep if people cry in professional development. Mm. I would rather have people cry than Mm -hmm. have people fill out a survey and say, yes, I learned a lot. Mm. You want them to be moved. I want you to be moved in your core. Yeah. Mm hmm. I think it's about transformation. I think everything is about transformation. Mm-hmm. 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 Evolution. Move like progress. That's how we evolve. And how are organizations in uh, engaging? How are how are how are they? Okay, here's my question. I'll tell you the question underneath the question, which is that there is a lot of focus on uh the the capitalization of DEI and Jedi work, right? It's been commodified. And when people ask you to come, do they know what they've asked for? Because you're talking and you engage a work that's deeply spiritual and integral, transformative from the inside out. What is your experience of this work, working with these folks who are, you know, attempting to create and redesign their ecosystems? Are they actually able to access that? Did they know what they were asking for when they asked for you? <laughs> Sometimes they're just looking for your, you know, they're like, oh, she did this work with the Ford Foundation. She, so we should get her. Right. right? They want to get the next thing. It's a commodification of this thing to show that we are this because we hired her, not we are this because we went through this process together. Right. right? What's your experience of doing this work with them? I mean, <laughs> I have all easy questions, Malisha. Right. <laughs> I've, I find right now a lot of people are doing the whatever works for BIPOC people, you know, just what what works for them is great. As long as they said they love it, they love it. Do we see how your voice changed? Yeah. 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 So you're deeply embodied. So so you're speaking to a certain type of energy around an angst around just not wanting to upset anybody and get canceled from folks of color or decolonized capacity, you know, stuff online. Just don't tell people that we did something wrong. Yes. Uh-huh. So that doesn't that, feel really liberatory to me. There's that. It's so I'm often in I'm often in between. Okay. I'm in between the person I just turned into, but I'm okay. serving. You did. You did transform. 
but you're observing. <laughs> but I am actually serving the BIPOC leader in, in the space. I'm only serving BIPOC leaders. So I'm, when you go into these spaces, a BIPOC leader must be there? I am tr- I work with BIPOC leaders only with this framework. Mm-hmm. But the person who's hiring me is not. The person mm-hmm. who's hiring me hi- is hiring me because I know I have built a curriculum that is not mm-hmm. led by them, that mm-hmm. they brought an outside consultant to provide and speak to mm-hmm. us for us mm-hmm. by us. Mm-hmm. It's and it and I take us on our own journey to mm-hmm. to find our assets, to find our worth, to find our work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm often hired as a consultant to do additional support, technical assistance mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. on the Elevate framework. So the Elevate mm-hmm. framework is um, more of an assessment tool mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. we dive into and we assess and we look at mm-hmm. and we map. Mm-hmm. areas that we mm-hmm. want to work on. And after we mm-hmm. go through that process, we say, okay, Malisha, can you, um, it looks like our CRMs are not in sync and that ties into ecosystems. Mm-hmm. We want to work mm-hmm. on our financial systems. We're not, our software isn't integrated. How can you help with that? And then I say, mm-hmm. great, I'm going to assign you a consultant that'll come in to help you with software integration. But the mm-hmm. way that we talked about software integration was talking Mm -hmm. about gardening Mm. because that's a relatable physical um, metaphor for what, what that is actually doing. What is the CRM? The CRM is like your irrigation system. Mm -hmm. The CRM is like working. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You saying Mm -hmm. that you want to grow collard greens in the backyard means did you get the right irrigation set up and did you get your soil prepared? Did you get, mm-hmm. did you find the right position to get the light so that the kale or the greens will grow? Did you clear out the area around it so that you're not getting insects and pests and other stuff to interfere with your crop? And that's how mm-hmm. I talk to us. I talk to us in ways we understand. And then mm-hmm. the metaphor illuminates, girl, that's what I need. I need to get my my computers on working right. My operations, mm-hmm. I, don't, I need a project manager. And I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. you need a project manager. You need project management mm-hmm. software. You need to be using monday.com. Okay, so you need mm-hmm. to set this up and, and integrate it with MailChimp. You need to get Zapier mm-hmm. set up because it integrates all three. That's what mm-hmm. your irrigation system is to get mm-hmm. what your result is, which is the greens mm-hmm. and the kale. You can't mm-hmm. get green, you can't get funding when you don't have a good CRM. People need you people need to send money to you. What are your systems in place to receive, to receive it? To receive mm-hmm. it. And so mm-hmm. Elevate is made to take all of these aspects of your organization into more layman terms, terms that we understand, terms a part of our culture and our way of being that we can access mm-hmm. easier. And it's not taught to us in this mechanical, like, oh my God, now I have to go to Zapier training. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, nobody wants to sit it's through that. It's not dismembered. It's not dismembered. Yeah, I follow, I'm a, I'm studying you right now. It's not dismembered. It's integrated. It's of yourself. It's of your own. And I want to say something to you, Malisha, and I'm sure people have told you this before, but you have such a regal countenance. 
there's so much dignity attached to the ways in which you're talking about your work and the ways in which you're holding. I'm imagining for leaders whom you work with, uh, those who are BIPOC leaders in particular, who don't necessarily get to experience such deep regard for themselves all the time or integrity for their work and their offering all the time. Mm-hmm. How important it is to model that to them. Mm-hmm. To- yes. You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because a lot of these issues are quiet in the back of the head. Shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I we don't even want to talk about why we couldn't figure out our email or why we can't figure out the software. We just must be working with us. Um, I I already know why this, this email is not working and I'm a, I'll figure it out eventually. And it's like, just say, I need help with this email. I'm not fit. It's not working. I can't fit. I can't download this. I don't, I'm not figuring the software out. I'm having struggles. It's hard to just be vulnerable and say, I need Mm -hmm. help in these areas. And Mm -hmm. that when I talk through the framework, people cry Mm -hmm. because they it's like, ooh, that's what I need. But because you said it to me in this way, it didn't feel as abrasive. I didn't feel ashamed. Mm -hmm. I can show up and I know how to articulate what I need now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the goal. And the most important letter I forgot was ancestors and archives, which is another A, A, um, ancestors and accessibility and archiving, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. ancestry and archives, knowing who we were Mm. and who we who we have become and then valuing enough to digitize and archive it and write it down. Mm. My sense is that particularly within the artist community and folks who um, are learning what you valued from, I would say, uh, being warned against being out here without knowing how to have your own ecosystem as an Mm -hmm. artist. Because I feel like Mm -hmm. that's what it's quite like. What is your backup plan, your plan B? My plan B is to be his business. I'll do that and I'll steal. Right. But who did not have that initially, but are find themselves in, in a role of leadership and are seeking your support and your help and are grateful for you to be there. Um, likely experience a little bit of imposter syndrome around the administrative aspects of the work um, mm-hmm. because they're told to shut up and just be the talent. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to, <laughs> you see, and I feel like there's something very liberating and grounding people in the know-how of the mundane that actually makes it possible for you, you know, the, the irrigation system, the, the, the metaphor is, yes, it's wonderful because then it's like, I know what I got. Yes. I need, and, I know what I got. Go ahead. But we have to sit with it. Sometimes we have to remember. And mm-hmm. I did, I started my workshop off talking about remembering, remember, mm-hmm. re it's like we fall apart a lot. We things fall apart and mm-hmm. we got to like recalibrate, put it all back, put the pieces mm-hmm. back, put your heart back in spot, you know, in place, put your head back on. Who am I? Who were my ancestors? Who got me here? Who are my mentors? Mm-hmm. Who are my people? 
Where did I go to school? What did I study? Like even just reading your bio in the morning is like an awakening. Just looking at your resume is like, oh, that's right. Last year, I forgot I did that. I, sh- I literally forget. I do. <laughs> Me too. I, I mean, I for- I'll be like, girl, did I do that last? I can't believe I did that. That is so cool. You know, and it's like if you can give yourself an award every day for like what you did last week. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. that is a lot to because then you can show up differently. You show up differently when you write it down and you say, I yeah. did these things. This is who I am. This is who I am. Boy, babe. So, okay. So we have to move on. I could, <laughs> we could go on, but I could, I really could. <laughs> One of the things that is so critical and what I've been excited to see are uh, folks who are across the lifespan, age span, career trajectory span, but the the what they're garnering, what they're receiving from this podcast and hearing black women talk about their leadership practices, literally like the innards of it. And I today we did it, right? Like today we're getting yes. inside of your story and your journey and your um your revelation of who you are. And and that's so vital. Uh particularly looking back because young ones can say, oh that resonates. You mean that counts? And it's like, yes, yes, it does. So if you were to speak to your younger self um, or mentees, I am assuming that you have some following you around trying to get those wisdom seeds. um, You know, what would you, what advice or words of wisdom would you impart to them about their own leadership journey? And, you know, this also, Malisha could be people who are endeavoring to, raise and be a positive force and influence in the life of young black women, girls. Yes. Or those who are who they're who are reporting to them now as women in John. Because a lot of people are trying to figure out how to do it and they just don't know what to do. So with that out there, what would be what would your advice be? Those who are trying to have that impact. Yes. Um I I've heard this so many times, but I feel it now more. It's the fall in love with yourself. Mm. The fall in love with yourself that we talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, That Black women, we talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm Self-love. But it's kind of like um, when you cook something and you're like, girl, that was good. I put these spices. I get on my people's nerves. I'm like, mm, that's good. They're like, what you make? I'm like, well, listen, right. I don't even know what we call it, but it is delicious. <laughs> I'm in love with myself. I put this mm-hmm. curry from this specific market that I went to. Mm-hmm. I put this bay leaf because mm-hmm. I love bay leaves. I put four of them instead of one. And I put, and loving yourself, like, I love that about me. Mm-hmm. I love the recipe of me. Mm. So, because, and the distinction that you would draw between that and being conceited or full of yourself or ego driven, 
Because I think that there, it's important. We have a social media society. I'm going to likely post this particular clip on Instagram. Right. Um, right? Yes. But we have a social media society where folks are like uh, absorbed with themselves in ways that are not healthy. We The psychological uh, research shows us that it's actually deeply problematic for their mental health. What's the difference between loving, falling in love with the recipe of yourself, all your parts, and being full of yourself, um, and, you know, maybe a more superficial uh, presentation of that. It's um, it's it's like mixology. It's it's cooking. It's culinary. It's flavor, vibe, essence. It's like all these spices, bitters, broken parts, pieces of a half fat back, whatever. <laughs> is inside. I don't care what that thing was. I like it. And because you have to say, I like this. Um, I also have this belief in non-regret. I don't believe in regret because I see it as another ingredient. Mm -hmm. This rough marriage. Mm. I went through a terrible, you know, you knew the man that I married, you met him and you gave him words. You said, what did you say? You said you marry a militia said what? You said that to him. I did say that. You leaned all the way into my ex-husband at your house and you looked him right. Oh, you looked at him and you said, what did you say you're going to do? Okay. So you're marrying militia. Uh-huh. I've written it down. That's my ex-husband. You wrote it down. You, you looked at, you, oh, you gave him the look. You gave him a whole look. And I said, I'm listening to you and I'm writing it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you made an account. Listen, I, that, it was good. You, get, you said, I'm making an account. Right? Yeah, I said, I'm making an account. I heard your words and I see you. And that that is, that is the father of my children. Do mm-hmm. I regret that I married him. No. Mm. Do I regret the pain I went through? No. It's a mm. part of the recipe of the fire of me. That's right. It's a part of the dark of me. It's that dark essence. Mm. It's the back. It's the back. It's the backside. Mm. It's the shadow. It's whatever you mm. want to call it. It's that dark spice in the middle of a mm. really good drink. Mm. Whatever that you need all the palate. The pot liquor, it's the it's the grease and the roux at the bottom that makes it's that, that so good. It's that I can thing tell you like you cook and <laughs> it's that it's that feeling. Yes. Yes. You know, oh, this is so rich. I didn't know I said that, but it sounds like me. <laughs> you get, you like made an account. You were like, um, I just I'm gonna lean See in what? and make it. Yes. What are you mm-hmm. doing? And so being, I, yeah, being I think black women, we just sometimes analyze and chop up mm. some of the stuff that we go through and have been through mm. and have happened to us. And mm-hmm. we condemn, we, we hurt and it's, and the hurt is real. And then mm-hmm. I think we need to love on it. We need to love it in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need to love it in. That's me. That's my Torah behind right there. And I love mm-hmm. my Torah behind. I, I love, love it. My Torah behind, which is different than the airbrush and the filter and the this and the that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that 
And that's what I'm hearing you saying is that distinction. Yes. Okay. Last, last question mm-hmm. um, before I let you go. Mm-hmm. Are we in this interview? What are you up to? Because you are a creator. You're an artist. You're a human. You. What are you up to? What are you manifesting that you feel comfortable sharing? What should people be looking out to hear from you? This will likely air in the, sometime in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that helps you to time what you would say, spring 2024. What What's going on with you? Wow. <laughs> mm. So I've connected with some musicians that are loosely tied to nap ministry and it's almost like a DL undercover and we're creating um, sound healing experiences, Mm. harp and voice and, Mm. and text and words and meditation. So I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. dipping more into that. I've done a little bit of that Mm. and I'm doing more rest, um, rest and restorative music and healing music. Um, Mm -hmm. and I have a concert coming up with these harpists. So I'm looking forward to by spring, we'll probably have more. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, uh, that is, I, what else is in the vision? Um, I Mm want to tour elevate. I want to help more organizations with elevate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I anticipate doing more work in mm-hmm. and for us, um, continuing to teach us what it means to be in liberatory praxis and leadership um, as BIPOC folk. And mm-hmm. I have four kids, so I am going to have teenagers next year. So I will oh be in it. I know. I will be in a deep new phase of motherhood. Of the teen, of the teen, teen world. So that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm. Okay. Yes. Malisha, this has been such a joy. I have to say, we've had many conversations over the years. We've never had this kind of conversation and certainly being in this Uh, at this big age that I love so much because of the clarity and the honesty and the, oh, you said stir it in or cook it in. The marination, like the things that come together makes it so much more um, joyous and brilliant and fulfilling. Thank you so much for sharing so openly with our audience. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for this platform. It's beautiful. Yes. Thank you.